This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Lord, wasn't worship so good? And it's so great just to be in God's presence. Hey, I get the privilege, and I'm so grateful to Pastor Stormy and Shelly for giving me this opportunity, but I get the privilege of speaking to you guys for the next three Wednesday nights. And over the next three Wednesday nights, we're gonna be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you wanna go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter five, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you, then if you'll lift up your hand, our wonderful team of ushers has a Bible that they'll let you use during the service. And so if you'd like a Bible, just lift up your hands and they'll get that for you. And like I said, we're gonna head to Galatians chapter five first. Well, you see all of these beautiful fruits behind me. And so the Lord put on my heart to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit and to really break apart each one of the nine fruits of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians chapter five. Now, if you're like me, you know songs about the fruit of the Spirit. You've quoted the fruit of the Spirit over and over again. You know where to find it in the Bible. If you grew up in the church, maybe you had a fruit of the Spirit puzzle that you put together as a kid. And so you have heard this over and over and over and over again. But my goal tonight is to give you insight into what each one of these means specifically. Why would you want the fruit of the Spirit in your heart? How do you get the fruit of the Spirit in your heart? What should I expect once the fruit of the Spirit is in my heart? And I believe that God's gonna really make the word come alive to you today. I'm gonna be going to several different passages, so if you've got your phone, get that Bible app ready. If your Bible is with you, make sure you're ready to turn pages, because I believe that God's gonna give you great insight into how he wants to impart his fruit in your life. So let's go ahead and pray before we start. Father God, we thank you so much that this is your word that you are the one who equips us and who has given us the Holy Spirit as a gift. And Holy Spirit, we just honor you in this house tonight, that, that you are our VIP guest here, that you move how you wanna move, you do what you wanna do, and we will submit and listen and follow. And I pray that as each one of us go home tonight, that you would help us to be filled with your fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in greater measure. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know that fruit grows a lot of different ways. There's fruit bushes and fruit plants, but we're gonna talk mostly about trees because that makes the most sense to me. Now, unless you're a horticulturalist, that's a hard word to say, unless you're a horticulturist, it's kind of difficult to identify trees in the winter. Why? Because they have no fruit on them, right? So if I'm driving down the street and I see a whole bunch of trees with no leaves, no fruit, no flowers, to me, they all look the same. Now, I realize that Mr. Ken Richburg, he could probably tell you exactly what the tree is no matter what season it is. But for me, I cannot. However, in the springtime, the time we're in right now, when you start to see those flowers bud on certain trees and you start to see the leaves come out and ultimately you see the fruit on those trees, anybody can tell you exactly what kind of tree you're looking at because the fruit is the main identifier of the tree. If a tree has apples all around it and there's apples hanging from the limbs, it's clearly an apple tree. When I grew up, the house that I grew up in, we had a pecan tree in the backyard. This sounds really nice, free pecans whenever you want, unless you're the child and slave labor is somehow legal and you get to clean up all the pecans every year for your entire life. Uh, but you know that that's a pecan tree. I can ID a pecan tree, I'll tell you what. There's a, my neighbor next door to me has an apricot or a peach tree, one of those two, I'm not really sure. But you can identify a tree based on its fruit. It's clear, you can see it. 
And this is the picture that Jesus gives us when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, that this should be the fruit in your life. This stuff, these nine things that we're gonna call the fruit of the Spirit should identify you. Somebody should look and see, oh my goodness, I see peace on that person. They must love Jesus. Oh, I see joy on that person. They must love Jesus. I see love. I see faithfulness. I see goodness. I see kindness. I see gentleness. And these things should mark us as Christians. But I pastor heard somebody say the other day and he was sharing with us and it was this statement that really has gotten to me but it's how many people are not a Christian because you are one? Meaning the fruit in your life is not like the fruit of the spirit. It's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It's it's something else. And so you're at, you're at Galatians 5. See fruit is the end product of a process that takes place internally. I mean, think about a tree. I'm gonna be all scientific for a little bit. A tree has to have good soil to grow deep roots. And then out of those deep roots, it pulls up the nutrients from the soil. It pulls in the water. Then the tree grows leaves. And, and the, the leaves attract that sunlight. And all of that works together to have this photosynthesis takes place where it creates oxygen or it creates glucose. All of that takes place internally. It's not something that you can see, but the product that comes off of that internal process, you can see it, and it identifies the tree. And so the process of growing an apple is actually very complex, but it takes place internally, and that's just like you and I. This fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is gonna be what people see, but there's gonna be a process on the inside of us that's gonna take time. So Galatians 5, we're gonna start in verse 16. And it says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the flesh is our sinful nature. That's our human nature. That, that part of us that, that Paul said, why do I keep doing the things I don't wanna do, and why do I not do the things that I want to do? That's because all of us, because of our fallen nature, we have a flesh. But the Bible says, when I walk by the Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So you got this internal battle. There's the flesh, my, my, my carnal self, that person within me that, that wants to do things I know I shouldn't do, those desires that I have. You know, no one had to teach you how to lie. No one had to teach you how to how to steal, no one had to teach you those things. Those types of things are innate within us because of our human nature. But then there's the spirit, and there's this battle on the inside, and you know who wins, your flesh or your spirit? It's the one that you feed. And so verse 18, it says, but if, everybody say if. If you were led by the spirit, you were no longer under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, just like fruit. This is the fruit that comes from the flesh. Remember, fruit is evidence of the type of tree that you are. And so verse 19 says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you may say, I did all those last week. 
right? And all of us to some degree and at some point have, have done these things. Maybe you can't check every single one of them off the list, not like it's a competition. But this has identified us. Hopefully this used to identify us. And these things used to be the fruit that people saw when they looked at me. And this type of fruit used to show people who I was on the inside. You see, you can have an apple tree next to another apple tree, and one apple tree is growing these lush, crisp, juicy, delicious, sweet apples, and then the tree right next to it is growing bruised and mushy and diseased apples that are full of worms. They're both apples, but the fruit that's being produced is a product of what's on the inside. And so Paul's very clear here when he writes this. He says, this is the fruit that comes out of the flesh. Verse 22, this is where it gets good. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So when I live by the Spirit, when I'm led by the Spirit, when I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, then the fruit that people see in my life is all of those things that we mentioned, the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now today, we're gonna talk about the first three. That's love, joy, and peace. And I love how God put all of these right at the beginning because to me, these are, these are like crucial, that we get love, joy, and peace in our hearts. And when people see love, joy, and peace on the inside of us, I believe that they're drawn to us and they're drawn to what's on the inside of us. See, when we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, that means two things. One, it means you can't go on without the Spirit. Come on, God, I'm going this way. Follow me if you want. We're not being led by the Spirit then. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit. Well, another thing we can't do is kind of hang backwards and drag our feet like this while the Spirit's moving. And we're like, hold, hold on, I don't, I don't know if I want to go that fast, dragging behind. Then we're not led by the Spirit. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit. But it says, if we live by the Spirit, that's every day. That's not just Sundays and Wednesdays. But we live our lives by the Spirit, then we're led by the Spirit, and we keep in step with the Spirit. See, I, most of you know me, but I come from a very large family. I'm the oldest, and there's nine kids in my family. My parents are still married. We, we all grew up in the same house. Actually, their youngest child is graduating high school next month, so they're about to be empty nesters. And empty nesters after nine kids, that's gotta be a weird feeling. But I remember one of my brothers, actually he's upstairs in the balcony directing the live stream right now, his name's Jack. Jack had a tendency when he was little to wander off. And we'd all be in the mall. My parents were very organized, you have to be with nine kids. And so they would make us line up in order of age and have ducktails and bubbles. So we'd have our hands behind our back, bubbles in our mouth, and we're walking in order. We probably looked like a freak show, I don't know. But Jack, when he was the, the youngest, there's, there's one after him, but he had a tendency to get distracted by things. And so I remember one time in particular, we were in Mervyn's at the mall. We bought all our clothes at Mervyn's on the sale rack. It's too bad Mervyn's isn't around anymore. 
We were at Mervyn's and, and there's this escalator at Mervyn's and I remember we're walking in order of age, Jack's kind of at the back there and I turn around to look and I notice that Jack's getting distracted. And so I kind of stepped out of line. My family kept moving through Mervyn's to get to the next place they were going. And I turn around and look at Jack and he had seen the escalator going up and was just enamored and so he stopped. And he's just looking at the escalator like this and my family's long gone, they're in the next store by now. And luckily I saw him and stayed behind but Jack was not keeping in step with the family. And if I wouldn't have noticed him not being there, we probably would have been calling mall security, would have been lost, this would have been a terrible situation. That was before cell phones, I believe, and so who knows how we would have found him. But that's the picture I get when I hear this verse. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't get distracted. Don't wander off. Keep your eyes on Jesus and allow the Spirit to lead you. When you keep in step with him, you're gonna be at the right place at the right time with the right fruit in your heart. Okay, so how do we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? You're like, okay, I get this. There's nine fruits of the Spirit. I need those in my heart. They identify who I am to other people. This is good, but how do I cultivate that? Well, just think of, of any type of gardening. You may be a gardener, you may not be a gardener, but we get the concept. In order for, for fruit to grow, you first have to have tilled up soil. You have to have soil that is good ground. The Bible talks about this in the book of Matthew. Jesus gives this story, this picture called the parable of the sower. And he says that the seed, which is the word of God, is planted in our hearts, which is the ground. And it says if, if there's rocky soil, or if you plant on the path, or if you, you plant in the weeds, then the word of God gets choked out. The seed of the word of God doesn't grow up like it should. But when your heart is tilled up, when your heart is good ground, then when the seed of the word of God is planted, it grows a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. And so how do we till up our hearts? Well, that's being teachable. When you allow your heart to stay moldable and you're not hard hearted, you're not set in your ways, you're, you're full of humility. And that's how the, the, the ground of your heart stays tilled up. You know, if you have a garden and over the winter that dirt gets frozen and it gets packed down by the, by the rain and the snow, at the beginning of the season before you plant, you have to till up that ground or else it won't soak in the water. The seeds won't be able to take root. And so you have to have your heart tilled up. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes it's hard to leave the lifestyle that we've always had so that our hearts can be tilled up. The next thing you need is that seed. And just like Matthew 13 mentions, the seed is the word of God. We have to have the word of God planted deeply in our hearts. That's the thing that brings change. That's the thing that brings those fruits starting to grow within us. But the last thing that we need, every plant in order to grow, it's gotta have water. And water in the Bible, according to John chapter seven, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come in. The ground of our heart is tilled up. We're humble. We're teachable. We have the word planted in our hearts. We're reading the word every day. We're coming to church. We're hearing the word under great leaders like Pastor Stormy. But then we've got to have that seed watered. If a seed isn't watered, it won't germinate. It won't grow. But when that seed's watered by the Holy Spirit, the word of God comes alive on the inside of us. And then, that, remember I talked about that inner process, that the fruit is a result of a process that happens on the inside. And when all of those things come together, the Holy Spirit is like the gardener of our hearts and the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow within us. So let's get to the very first fruit and we're gonna talk about the fruit of love. Turn to the book of John. That's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're gonna be in John chapter 13. 
So the Holy Spirit's the gardener of our hearts and he wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us and the first fruit that's mentioned is the fruit of love. While you're headed to John chapter 13, I believe that love is the greatest identifier of a Christian. If you serve and love Jesus, then people should be able to identify you by your love. And there's this, this old song that my father-in-law always sings when people aren't acting in a very loving way. He says, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. And it's this really patronizing way that he sings it. You know, When he sings it to you, it means you're not living in love. But look at John chapter 13, verse 34. This is Jesus talking, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second, God. If I'm remembering correctly, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So you're telling me that just like you love the world, I'm to love others? And you realize the price that that's gonna cost you. You remember how they treated Jesus? That they beat him, they scorned him, they mocked him, they bruised him, they cut him, they hung him on a cross. And while he was hanging on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Basically saying, I, I still love them. And that's what he's called us to love like. And you think now, oh man, all this time that I've like withheld love from people, it seems pretty petty in light of what's been done for me. See, when you look at yourself through the lens of what Jesus did for you, and when you look at others through the lens of what Jesus did for them, you realize we're, we're all on a level playing field. All of us make mistakes. All of us hurt others from time to time. But we're called to love like God loved us. And then look at verse 35. By this, all people, say all people, will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's why I say love is the greatest identifier of a Christian because when somebody looks at you and they see love, they should be able to say, there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. There's, there's something within them that's not within me and it's the love of God. So love identifies us as a Christian. When people see the fruit of love, they should know we're a Christian. But that's a high calling, to love like God loved. Do you know that the word love is mentioned 759 times in the Bible? That's in the New Living Translation that we got that count from. And out of those 759 mentions of the word love, we're told to love our spouse like Christ loved the church and gave himself for you. Do you know, husbands, you're called to love your wife like Jesus loves you? Again, I don't, we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no way. We're called to love our children and to discipline them out of love. We're called to love our neighbors as ourself, and we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. So you see this, this fruit of love that should be in our heart as Christians, it's about loving ourselves, it's about loving our children, it's about loving our spouse, it's about loving our neighbor, our fellow man, and it's about loving God. This fruit of love should, be, should, should protrude every part of our lives. It should be the fruit that is seen in everything we do, in everything we say, in all of the thoughts that we think. Even Paul told Timothy, speak the truth in love. 
When you speak the truth to somebody and you tell them, hey, what you did hurt me, or hey, you did this and you shouldn't be doing that because you're better than that, those things even should come out of a motive of love, that love would flavor everything that we do because it flavored everything Jesus did. Everything Jesus did was done out of love. When you go back and read the Gospels, you see love over and over and over and over again. And especially, he loved the unlovable. You remember the woman caught in the act of adultery and the religious leaders came and they threw her on the ground and they said, we're supposed to stone her, but what do you say, Jesus? And he said, well, any of you guys that haven't ever sinned before, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And remember, Jesus was the one who had never sinned. But when they all left, he bent down and he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, he spoke the truth to her. He told her not to sin anymore. But you can see the love that comes out of Jesus' words and his tone and the way that he spoke to her. He was all about love. And we're called to love like Jesus loves. So I remember a time in my marriage where I was, I was kind of dissatisfied. I wanna preface this by saying my wife did nothing wrong. She's perfect and I love her so much. But I was dissatisfied because of a, a misconception in my own heart. See, I started to think, after we had our first child, I started to think, this kind of isn't fair. Like, I'm working a lot, and she's sitting home with the baby. And, like, then I come home, and there's dishes in the sink. And you women are like, this guy. I'm like, Hold on. Just wait till the end, okay? I realize now we have three kids now. My wife works harder than I do, but don't tell her I said that. Uh, yes, so I started to feel these things, and I really do believe it was the enemy getting into my head and me allowing him to, for those thoughts. Instead of taking those thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, I was like, yeah, I kind of am. Not, I'm, I'm working harder. Until the Lord spoke to me one day, and it wasn't one of those like, hey, buddy, I want to tell you something. It was like, you know, when you're in trouble and your dad's like, come here, I want to talk to you. And so the Lord reminded me of that verse and it says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't love you in a fair way? He said, I didn't call you for your, for your relationship to be fair. I called you to serve your wife, to love your wife like I loved the church, to love your wife like I love you. And so from then on, I do my best. I'm not perfect, I promise. But I do my best to serve my wife. And when there's dishes in the sink, instead of thinking, you know, she's been home all day. She probably could have taken care of this. It's, man, it really served my wife and bless her if I would go ahead and take care of this. And it's a change of a mindset. It's a change that, that I don't view it as I want this to be fair. I view it as I wanna love her as best I can. And you know what I noticed after doing that? She works so hard and she does so much and how foolish of me to think those thoughts that I thought. But when I started to, to love her like Christ loved the church, to do my best at that and to serve her, it changed my mindset and it enhanced our marriage. You know, I was talking to, we had men of iron this past weekend and I got to talk with one of my friends I don't get to talk to very often. And I love when I get to talk to him because he loves the Lord and he spends a lot of time with Jesus. But he was telling me that the other day his son was, was acting up and he had done the same thing wrong over and over and over again. And he said that he just snapped. And he looked at his son and he said, I had this like anger in my eyes. And he said, you know, I told you not to do that. And his voice got really mean. And he, he said that his son just broke and he started bawling. His son's 11. And he, he said, I, I realized what I'd done. I'd crushed his spirit. And so I said, dude, I'm, I'm so sorry. And, and he said that his son put his hand up and said, I don't wanna talk to you right now, dad. He said, we've, we've since made up. But he said when he got into the presence of God, he said, I, I went from that point to try to pray and it was like I wasn't really you know, 
getting through and there's something was hindering my prayers. And he said that God spoke gently to my heart and said, when you discipline, you need to stay in love. When you just disciplined your son, when your eyes got angry and when you yelled at him, you, you got out of love. And when we discipline out of love, it's not right. And so even when we discipline our kids, the Bible talks about that in Proverbs, that when we discipline our kids, we do it in love. I'm disciplining you because I love you, because I want what's best for you, because I know that this correction is going to take you to, to where you need to be as an adult someday. Even the Bible says that the Lord disciplines or chastens those whom he loves. But we can discipline out of love and we can discipline in love. And so even when we're disciplining our children in everything, we need to be flavored with love. So the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is? You know, before I move on to the next one, there's this, this phrase that I actually hate. And you hear this a lot of times right before somebody gets divorced. And if you've said this before, I don't hate you, I just hate the phrase. We've just fallen out of love. You heard that before? We've just fallen out of love. Well, that takes away the aspect of love that is our choice. And if you can just fall in and fall out of love, well then what's the point? But we're called to choose love, to put on love, to cultivate a heart of love within us. It's not that we fall in or fall out of love, it's that just like God spoke to me about my wife, I choose to love you, I choose to serve you. Just like my friend when he was disciplining his son, I choose to discipline you because I love you and I'm gonna do it in a motive of love. You have to choose love. Turn to the book of 1 John. It's almost all the way at the end of the Bible. After you come to 1 Peter, 2 Peter, then you'll be at 1 John. And we're gonna be in chapter four. One of the things that you realize about love, and we're gonna read it here in just a second, love is actually not a characteristic that God has. Love is not a characteristic that characterizes God, and I'm gonna show you why. First John, we're in chapter four, and we're in verse seven, and it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not a characteristic of God. God is love. It's who he is at his core. And it's gonna say this phrase multiple times in this passage. God is love. And when we act out of love, we're acting out of God. And when we know God, we treat others in love. Let's skip down to verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us or he lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And I love how he connects this. You can't love with a godly love without the spirit of God. This is a fruit of the spirit. This is evidence that the Holy Spirit's working in your hearts. And then skip down to verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. And remember, we're talking about our neighbor, our spouse, ourselves, our children, God. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So essentially, if, if you come into church and you sing these songs, I love you, Jesus, I love you, God, you're the best, and you go out on Monday and spew words of hatred for your brother, then this says that the love of God's not in you and you don't know God. And that's very humbling. And it's not that we can't get to know God, but we need to check our own hearts. If we're spewing hatred towards people out of our mouth, we might not know God like we think we do. And maybe we need to get in his word and get to know him better. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm not gonna have you turn there, uh, but it's this beautiful chapter that's all about love. And I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 13 uh, when you go home later. Actually, when we became teenagers, we stopped getting spankings at my house, and we started, uh, this was one of our punishments, is that when we treated our brothers or sister in a, a mean or a hateful way, my parents would make us handwrite 1 Corinthians 13 a said number of times. And so I got to know this verse very well. Um, I, I was almost perfect usually, but uh, sometimes had to write 1 Corinthians 13. But what a great punishment because now it's in my heart. And the Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. But tucked away right in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a short chapter, the whole thing's about love. It says, actually let me turn there, I wanna tell you exactly what it says. 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 11 it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Why would he put that right in the middle of a paragraph that's all about love? You know what I think Paul's saying? That to not love others is childish. To not love others is a baby Christian's mentality. Because when you mature in the faith and when you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you realize how much God loves you and how much God loves other people. And how could I not allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate love in my heart? So the fruit of love, it identifies us as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And the second fruit of the Holy Spirit we're gonna talk about is the fruit of joy. Have you ever met somebody that's so full of joy that it's contagious? Like you can't help but smile around this person. I mean, most of the time you ask a person, hey, like, how are you, how's your day going? They're like, oh, it's a day, or well, fine, or pretty tired, or you hear the ones, I'm just, I'm making it, I'm here. But then there's those people where you're like, how was your day? And they're like, oh my gosh, it was the best day ever. Today was incredible. But you know what? I would rather hear more about you. How was your day? And there's just this joy in their hearts, this joy on their face. And joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's actually this guy that I think exudes joy better than anyone I know personally. And he's, uh, his name is Mark, and he works at the FedEx store on, on, in Kingsgate in Quaker. Has anybody ever gone into the FedEx store and seen Mark? Just show of hands. Yes, there's people who know Mark. Okay, when you go in that store, this guy, like, he's like your best friend in the history of the world. You walk in and he's like, hi, welcome to FedEx. I'm so glad you're here. We come on in. Is there anything we can help you with? I mean, the whole time he's asking how your day is. He's saying, God bless you. I mean, this guy has joy all over his heart. And when the people around him are complaining about work and I'm just an hour until my shift's over, this guy is full of joy. And he inspires me. When I go into FedEx, I wanna be more like Mark because I think Mark is like Jesus. So how can we keep joy even when dealing with terrible things in life? I mean, in, in James 1, verse two, it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
And you're like, trials? I hate trials. Why would I be joyful in the middle of trials? But when joy doesn't come from your own ability, when joy comes as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you can keep your joy no matter what situation you find in your life. And I'm gonna kind of read a bunch of scriptures and just, um, I don't have enough time to turn to all of them. But Proverbs 17, 22, it says that a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So do you wanna have good medicine or do you wanna have your bones dried up? Romans 15, 13 says that joy through the power of the Holy Spirit brings hope. And how many people do you know that need hope? You can be that hope to them when you're full of joy. Psalm 94, 19 says that God's joy relieves anxiety. John chapter 16, verse 22 says, our joy cannot be taken away. See, I love that, that when our joy comes from the Holy Spirit, when it's of God, nobody can take it away. Nothing can take it away. Matthew 25, 21 says that joy is given to us as a reward for faithfulness. And I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 16. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. Just open up the middle and you'll probably see Psalms. Psalms chapter 16. Then we're gonna be in verse 11. I love this verse we're about to read because it's gonna tell us where to find joy. You're like, yes, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but I am not a joyful person. And you may think, my natural tendency is not to be joyful. I'm not like Mark from FedEx. But you know what? This verse is gonna tell us where to find joy. And it's not a hard place to find. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So where do I find joy? In God's presence. And when we come into church and we worship with other believers, God's presence is there. But you know where else you can find God's presence? Everywhere that you are. The Bible says that he inhabits the praise of his people. When you worship God, whether it's in your car, whether it's in your bed at night, whether it's in your living room, whether it's wherever you are, it's your job with your family. When you worship God, he's there with you and that's where you find joy. That he brings fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, not partial joy, but fullness of joy. You know another thing that the Bible says? In Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Have you ever found yourself needing strength? Like, I don't think I could make it another day. Maybe you said, I, I cannot go to that job one more day. You know what you need is the strength of God. And the Bible says, you don't wanna find the strength of God, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So let the Holy Spirit, the gardener of your heart, cultivate joy on the inside of you. You know what, I really believe that joy is a testimony. That, you know, even like if we think of 2020 when COVID hit, and, and the world was anxious. And many people are still dealing with anxieties and with fears and with worries about all of this. But when people had joy through it, it's a testimony of the goodness of God. When someone can look at you and say, I'm so full of fear and turmoil and anxiety, but you have joy? Where do you get that from? How do you have joy right now? And you can say, I get it from the Holy Spirit. It's my gift for being in the presence of God. And you're a testimony, you really are. So the Holy Spirit brings us love, the Holy Spirit brings us joy, and the last fruit of the Spirit we're gonna talk about tonight is the fruit of peace. How many of you guys need peace in your life 
Every single one of us. Peace is beautiful. Peace is wonderful. When you have peace on the inside, it's like nothing, there's nothing else like it. And I believe that the peace that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace with God, that I have peace with my Father. It's peace with others, that I'm living at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ, with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers. But I also believe that there's an inner peace that my mind's not racing with anxieties or fears or worries, that there, there is a peace on the inside of me that could only come from God. And I want you to turn to the book of, of John, and we're gonna be in chapter 14. Remember, John's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to John chapter 14. So where does this peace come from? Well, in Isaiah verse, or chapter nine, verse six, Jesus says that, I'm the prince of peace. So peace is coming from Jesus. And it's a fruit that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And in John chapter 14, I'm gonna start in verse 26. It says, but the helper, everybody say the helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now this is before Jesus died. This is before he gave his life for us, before he rose from the grave, before he ascended back to the Father. And so this where he says, I will send the helper, the helper's already here. And the helper's the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, we can be followers of Jesus, we can have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and we can still let or allow our hearts to be troubled. But Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled because I give you my peace, and it's coming through the helper, the Holy Spirit. And then two chapters over it in John chapter 16, it's probably the next page. We're gonna be in John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He said, I'm not telling you that you're not gonna have tribulation or trouble. When you live in the world, you're gonna have tribulation. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Meaning, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm a guy you can trust. You can have peace in your heart even when the world is full of chaos and turmoil and trouble and tragedy because I have overcome the world and I'm giving you my peace through the helper that's the Holy Spirit and I don't give things like the world does where they give it for a moment and then take it back. I give it to you as I give it to you. It's a gift that you get to keep and you get to keep peace but we have to not let our hearts be troubled. One of my favorite verses is, is Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. And I've quoted this over my own life over and over and over. And it's, be anxious for nothing. It says, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests before God and let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And there's that word, let, let the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That comes because if, you know what, if the Bible says do not be anxious for anything, then that must be possible. But it's not possible on our own ability. I, I struggled because of a situation that happened to me. I struggled with anxiety for a little over a year. And I was anxious every day. And my heart was in turmoil. And I would get in the presence of God 
on my face in my living room, crying my eyes out, begging God for peace. And he gave me peace every time. Peace in my heart. Healing in my heart. Healing in my mind. I, and I had to walk that out. Be anxious for nothing. Or don't be anxious about anything, some translations say. And I had to let the peace of God guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. And like it says, don't think you can understand it. The peace of God you can't understand because it comes when peace shouldn't come. You think, my life is crazy right now. I should not have peace on the inside of me, but you do. And it's because it's that peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, there's one more thing about peace that, that I wanna tell you, but we're gonna have to wait till next week. So come back next week, and I'm gonna tell you one more aspect of the peace that the Holy Spirit gives that is so, so cool. Hey, thank you guys so much for coming and worshiping with us today. If you have your offering, you know what the Bible says? It says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And you know what I think that is, that cheerful part? I think that's joy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit that's joy coming out through your giving. And I believe that we can give with joy because of the fruit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So you can give online, faithchurchlubbock.com. You can use the red envelopes and drop your offerings off at the boxes around the exits. Go ahead and stand up on your feet. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.